0: Brothers and sisters, we open the Word of God in a few passages, both in the Old and the New Testament. First we turn to Joshua chapter 7, then we turn to 2 Kings 5, and in the New Testament we read from Luke 16 and Luke 19. So I will repeat those passages as we go. We start out in the book of Joshua which comes after the five books of Moses. Joshua chapter 7, of which we read verse 1, and then continue in verse 16 through the end of that chapter. So Joshua 7, verse 1, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. Things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Verse 16 So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zebdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zebdi, son of Sarah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them up to the valley of achor and joshua said why did you bring trouble on us the lord brings trouble on you today and all israel stoned him with stones they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. We now continue in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings 5, verse 20 through 27. 2 Kings 5. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Amon saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of the died shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. We now turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, the verses 19 through 23. So Luke 16, verse 19. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Then finally, chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. Chapter 19 of the Gospel according to Luke. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Let us now respond by turning together to Psalm 112 of the Ten Words of God, as we heard them this morning, and what we confess concerning it in Lord's Day 42 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The congregation has come to Lord's Day 42 in the exposition of the doctrine of salvation. So let us turn to page 557, where we echo the word of God as follows. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money and usury, we must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's goods wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would like others to deal with me. And work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. That's Lord's Day 42. In response to the sermon we will be singing from Psalm 37, the stanzas 9, 12, and 15. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I still remember vividly, brothers and sisters, that our oldest son had a nice second-hand bike. He took it to the swimming pool, and when he came out afterwards, it was gone, stolen. Was he ever upset? He looked all over the place. For days he was looking around if by chance he would see it standing somewhere. To no avail. His first bike remained stolen. And I'm sure many of you can identify with those feelings. Yes, I know others who came home to a house that had been broken into. They found a mess. Drawers emptied, jewelry taken, personal mementos with emotional value gone, stolen. How does that make you feel? Violated, hurt in the deepest of your existence, intruded upon your privacy, It's a traumatic experience indeed and not a small thing. Theft touches your life. You're no longer secure in your own house. Theft has affected our stores, our malls and office buildings. Security cameras are placed everywhere. That's how serious it is when people steal don't steal, the Lord says. Well, you know, that's what the Eighth Commandment is about. And I'm sure most people agree with this commandment. God forbids all outright theft and robbery, the Hattieburg Catechism says. It also includes for the people of the 16th century a list of ways in which they could transgress this commandment should not be too difficult to give an update on that list for our time and age. Such a list could include fraudulent ca- accounting, money squandering, and tax evasion, for example. In our time also, weigh scales must meet high-accuracy standards. Products are held to many quality requirements, And many rules and regulations protect today's citizens from deceit, false advertising and financial swindling. In other words, also the confession in Lord's Day 42 is still very adequate. In the midst of our money-oriented worlds and so many material and financial affairs, brothers and sisters, The Lord is coming to us also with the Eighth Commandment. That he is not only empathetic with those from whom something was stolen, saying, that's wrong, that's bad, that hurts deeply. No, he says, you don't steal. He addresses us on our responsibilities, asking us, what are you doing with your money? How are you managing your income and expenses? Have you set your priorities in such a way that it can be seen clearly that you handle your affairs as servant of the Lord? How do you view other people's possessions, income, and spending patterns? What are your giving habits and how much are you concerned with your neighbor's well-being? And then we receive the norm and principle for our response to these questions in the Eighth commandment. Hence, I proclaim the Word of God to you in this theme with the Eighth Commandment, the Lord gives the norm for our stewardship. Don't steal anyone's goods but deal with God's goods. So that's how I would like to summarize the message of this afternoon with the Eighth Commandment. The Lord gives the norm for our stewardship. First of all, don't steal anyone's goods, our first point, but deal with God's goods, our second point. From the many ways In which we could transgress this commandment, brothers and sisters, it is clear that there must be something attractive in stealing. We all like to earn more, get a bit more, spend more than we actually have. Stolen water is sweet, we read in the book of Proverbs. And food eaten in secret is delicious. Chapter 9, verse 17. Then the Lord, however, adds an important comment to this general observation. But little do they know that the dead are there. That her guests are in the depths of the grave. The words stolen water is sweet and food eaten in secret is delicious. Are words spoken by the woman folly. She speaks these words to those who are without knowledge. In other words, those who seek to satisfy their desire for more by means of stealing are the foolish. Then you are invited to the realm of the dead to join with the guests in the hall of perdition. Now, the Lord doesn't want us to learn this lesson by trial and error. He wants us to be wise, not foolish. That's why he wants us to listen to his law, which says, don't steal. And look in the mirror of his word and see its truth. We read the story in the Old Testament, beloved, about Achan. He was a thief. He even stole from the Lord, from God, the goods God had declared holy. Was that serious? Was it really that bad so that he had to be stoned? All he took was some silver and gold and a garment. Well, it was serious indeed, and it provoked God's wrath. He was stoned, and the place was called the Valley of Trouble. We also read another story, namely about Gehazi. He too hid some silver and a few garments. Did he steal them? No, he didn't steal All he did was lie and deceive Naaman with a pious story about some poor prophets from Ephraim whom Elisha wanted to help. Of course Naaman gave them. He's glad he could finally show his gratitude. He doesn't realize that he is deceived by Gehazi. Yes, you can steal in many ways, as the Heidelberg Catechism says. You can steal with use of force in a break-in. You can also steal with a pious story, pretending love for the neighbor. The Lord, in his word beloved, teaches us in many places and various ways what all is included in this Eighth Commandment. You can steal someone's goods in many ways with various plans and wrong practices trying to obtain other people's goods and possessions. The prophet Isaiah, for instance, speaks of the theft by the rich. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Isaiah 5 verse 8. It's the theft of the free market, in which you buy and buy, pushing others out of business. Through merger and merger, the conglomerates grow and grow, and the small businessman fails. You can also steal from God. Yes, indeed, you can. Namely, the way Haggai describes it, chapter 1, verse 4. By keeping your money in your pocket, spending it on your own house and property and personal pleasures, and keeping it away from the church, the schools, and the kingdom of God. Stealing from God? Yes, indeed. Also Malachi has to prophesy on behalf of God, by keeping your tithes for yourselves and the sacred gifts in your own pocket, Chapter 3, verse 9. Hence they are under a curse. Malachi prophesies sharply. Indeed, but that's how angry the Lord is when you keep your church contributions for yourselves. Or when you ignore the needs of your handicapped brothers and sisters, for instance. It's theft in God's eyes. Yes, brothers and sisters, the Bible is filled with a variety of ways and forms of theft and deceit. And God hates it. He wants honesty, faithfulness, and integrity. You can steal the way Zacchaeus, the tax collector in Jericho, did. He was a corrupt man who asked much more than the prescribed amounts. And he accepted bribes. You can steal by acting as if you are blind too. Blind for the needs of others. The way the rich man ignored Lazarus. This beggar, Lazarus, was right on his doorstep. Yet the rich man didn't even see him anymore. All he saw was his friends and feasts. You see, you can't solve the world's problems anyway. Why would you help Lazarus? Before you know it, you will have all the beggars on your doorstep. Don't steal anything or anyone, says the Lord. Yes, says the Apostle Paul, and he includes slave traders. 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. Which makes us things of today's sex trade or kidnappers. In the scriptures we read about Jacob who literally stole the heart of his father-in-law Laban. Genesis 31 <laughs> verse 26. And of Absalom who stole the heart of the men of Israel. Second Samuel 15 verse 6. That too we realize happens today when people manipulate the heart and mind of a neighbor by flattery, deceitful arguments or false advertising outside the church, as well as inside. The stealing of our neighbor's goods and possessions as well, beloved, can mean a lot today. Johnny stealing from his mother's wallet. Students cheating on their test papers. Mr. So-and-so luring a neighbor's customer away. Stealing the other company's ideas, or as employee, taking business secrets to the competition. Don't steal anything or anyone, the Lord says in his Word. It's no wonder the Heidelberg Catechism includes in this Lord's Day such a long and specific list of ways in which we could transgress the the Eighth Commandment. It's not just the government which needs to be vigilant in protecting people's goods and possessions against new and modern forms of stealing, including through the internet. The church also must be alert for the reality that we are all potential thieves and robbers. Indeed, that's the point of our confession where it includes all wicked schemes and devices, even show of right. That's our true poverty, indeed, that we are not only inclined to think of ways and means by which to obtain our neighbors' goods and possessions, but by our show of right or greed, we do actually defraud our neighbor. Yes, we. That's what the Lord Jesus holds up to the people of the church of his days, including the Pharisees. Then the Lord Jesus calls money the unrighteous mammon. Not because money as such is unrighteous, but because we treat money as God and because we are hardly able to handle money in a righteous way. Yes, he said it in the presence also of the Pharisees, who were very decent and pious men, leaders in the church and in the world, yet of whom we read that they loved money and were sneering at Jesus. Woe indeed! When money matters enter the picture, watch it, Rev. When you address matters of materialism or personal income. So, how is that with us? With you, beloved? How's your heart in matters of finances and possessions? Are you living from the hand of the Lord, using your goods as stewards of the Lord? How do you prioritize your personal well-being and your neighbor's needs? What's central in your life? The Lord our God and the church and the kingdom of Jesus Christ or your own possessions, your neighbor's standards, and your own desires and ideals? We come to our second point in your stewardship deal with God's goods. Indeed, brothers and sisters, that's the other side of the Eighth Commandment, the positive side. The Apostle Paul articulates this side very succinctly, where he writes in Ephesians 4, verse 28, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. The honest way is work for your money, for your living. Making the most of your life, of your gifts and talents. Of course, then we know that this work isn't everything. And that after the fall, it's not easy. Yet honest labor is no curse and not a necessary evil. The Lord doesn't like laziness. And uses even the example of the ants to make his point. Proverbs 6 verse 6. Laziness leads to poverty, and poverty to stealing, he shows. Central in the norm of the eighth commandment, beloved, is the Lord's gift of this world and the Lord's calling in this world, in order that we be stewards for the Lord. Then we may look at our work as a means to make a living. The Lord also gives us all sorts of things to possess so that we can live in his care. We do have to remember, however, that these are means to the end of our service to God as stewards before God. Our money, our possessions are no purpose in themselves for us to crave them or desire or aspire in order that we can keep up with our neighbors, our siblings, or our friends and colleagues in this world. When the Apostle Paul urges us to live and possess with contentment, He doesn't mean to pursue the materialistic contentment of people who are happy that they don't have to do with any less than others, who feel content because they've got their savings, their investments, and their financial security in place. No, a child of God, a servant of Christ, And a steward in the Lord's kingdom is happy and content when he can use God's gifts for his service. That's what he redeemed his people for. And that's the newness of life Christ obtained for us. Indeed, this is the way of the Lord Jesus, beloved, who rejoiced in the salvation of Zacchaeus' life. When Zacchaeus said... Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's the lifestyle of the gospel. You correct what you have done wrong, that's first. You don't just say, "Ah, well, if I could do it over, I would do it differently. No, I will pay back the whole amount and then some. And after that, you also see the neighbor, especially the poor, the needy, and help them. That's service in the love of God and the neighbor. Not only in words, but also in deeds. We learn that from the scriptures as well. It's full of stories not just of theft and deceit but also of love and generosity. One of them is about Elisha, who did not want to be paid by Naaman, but simply gave what he had. You know, that's what you see in Zacchaeus' story as well this taxman in Jericho. It was in Jericho that Achan had stolen. And the place became a valley of trouble. Hosea, however, later on calls it a gate of hope. Hosea 2 verse 15. And we see his prophecy fulfilled when the Lord Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus became an honest tax collector. And a good servant and steward of the Lord's goods. By sharing it with the poor, with people like Lazarus, for instance. As I said, beloved, there are many stories in God's Word to show how the Spirit of Christ changes hearts and minds, attitudes, and practices. Think of the New Testament church after Pentecost, where everyone was welcomed and accepted and helped as there was need also financially. When that situation ran stuck at some point because the apostles became too busy, they did not say, oh well, too bad. At least we showed our good intentions. No, they organized in Jerusalem a new service by means of deacons in order to stimulate and coordinate the work and needs of the church as a diaconal congregation. And the letters of Paul also illustrate this point when he gives ample attention to collections to help the distant neighbors in times of need. Yes, beloved, it was in this regard as well that the church stood out in the Roman world of its days. The seventh commandment already made the church stand out sharply. In that ancient society. Now there was an expression in the ancient church which said we share our table with our neighbor, not our bed. We share our table, namely with the poor and needy, eighth commandment. We don't share our bed in matters of sexuality. We remain pure and we keep the marriage bed undefiled. Seventh commandment. People noticed in the ancient world and it made them think about those people of the church. Yes, it made them turn to the Lord and join the church. And isn't that what we want to see today as well? The Christian lifestyle is still one of the strongest testimonies to the neighbor. Different sexual morals and a different norm in stewardship and service will be noticed for sure. And it will be blessed to beloved. Just imagine that every church member puts the Lord first in his life. And shows in his stewardship the right priorities. It would mean that our treasurer won't have a shortage to grapple with. And that the deacons continue to be supplied. And the schools will be able to operate without arrears. And the anchor homes will be viable as well. How come? Well, that's what the Lord said he would do. Just listen to Malachi one more time. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I would not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 3, verse 10 and following. That's the blessing. The hope, beloved, the Lord gives when we resume our stewardship of his goods and use it as deacons in God's service. That's the promise In the word of God, as Malachi proclaimed it, it's also the word of the Lord Jesus fulfilled. Then we follow him who gave up his glory and riches and became poor in order to make us rich. That we, in turn, might follow him to make others rich. Because we have come from the valley of trouble to the gate of hope in Jesus Christ, then we are no longer characterized by our natural inclinations of selfishness, greed, and theft, but by our diaconal service in the Lord. He said to us, through the Apostle Paul, all things are yours, but you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen.